I know this uh, may not look good for you. Um, say, gosh, he's pulled out a stool. This is this this can't be all that easy. No, you know, it's like um, we live in such a fast food society. Uh, it's quick in and quick out, right? You run to the store, grab a couple of things, uh, uh, pick up lunch on the way to the next thing, uh, going from this practice after school. You know, there's just so much. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. I mean, that's just kind of life and there's the busyness. But sometimes our, our, our time in the Word is reflective of that. You know, we'll get a five-minute devotion in here. or You know, when we're in our special reading room in the house. Yeah, see, all the guys are going, I <laughs> gotcha, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, you know, that's sometimes the only time you get your, your, your daily devotion in. But occasionally what you need to do is you need to dig in deep, and you need a big chunk. And this morning, that's why we have chapter 6 and 7 of Acts. And part of what we're after is I just want you to listen this morning. I want you to hear the story. I want you to be impressed with God's Word in such a way that you say, man, I, I just, I've heard bits and pieces of that story, but I've never heard it all the way through. This is the story of the early church with Stephen. The disciples are preaching and teaching, but there's also time demands put on their daily schedule of taking care of the poor. And what the early church decided was they would elect seven new elders, basically, under shepherds, if you will, pastors. To, to have hands laid on them to help take care of the needs of the people in the growing community. Because God was bringing daily thousands of people to the faith. And so the disciples lay hands on seven people. And as you hear the story this morning, what I want you to hear and be asking yourself is, do I understand my place in the story of salvation? Do I know where I fit? Do I understand that I have a part to play? Because what we're going to see here is Stephen, who's elected, right? New associate pastor, if you will, elected, and days later, dies. Are we prepared to play the part God has designed for us. So listen. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests 
even became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They placed, produced false witnesses who testified, well, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Iran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. And at that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. 
For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by, the, by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and as he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, though the angel who appeared to him, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, he led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the desert. This is what Moses told, who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us a God, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held celebrations in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your god Raphon, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It has been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. And having received the tabernacle, our, fa our fathers under jo Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or will, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect to the angels but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at, a feet, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. And in this story, what we hear time and time again are several things. One, God picks people not according to their pedigree, not according to what they can give Him, not according to anything that they have earned by respect or in their bank accounts. God picks people He simply chooses to use. Moses He's adopted. And maybe you've claimed at times, well, I don't know if God could use me. I don't even know who my family is. David was a murderer, an adulterer, and yet as king, ascended to the highest of heights, did wondrous and glorious things. He even in repentance, right, says, create a new heart in me. He gets a new heart. He does wonderful things and says, God, I want to bring you all honor and glory. I want to make you a temple. And you would think that God at that point would go, you know what, David, that's going to make a great story. You kind of fell away from me. I restored you. I, I, I gave you a new life. You were a great king. And yes, I will let you build me a temple. But no, the story tells us. No, David, that's not what I've picked for you. For you, you're my warrior king. Your son Solomon will build me a temple. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you say, well, I've never cared about my pedigree. I'm not like Moses. I, you know, I mean, I know who my parents are. That's my background. Maybe you're more like David and you said, man, God's done some wonderful things in my life and I want to pay God back. And so that's why he'll really honor my new life in him. And yet, you find yourself to some degree somewhat disappointed like David was initially of going, what do you mean, God? I think I could really be used here. And God goes, actually, I want to use you over here. 
I mean, Solomon had wisdom, God. I would be such a better leader in our community or the owner of the business or a worker in the company I work for if you would just give me the kind of wisdom Solomon has. And God goes, actually, I have some other gifts to give you. You see, the story that Stephen tells is about God who has a plan to use people in His plan of salvation the way He wants to use them. But all too often, we start to tell God how, we're, how we would like to be used. Hey, uh, you know, God, I've heard there's a lot of heathens in Colorado, and uh, we would be willing to sacrifice and live there. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that was your prayer. God, you know, if, if I could just get that next promotion, see, then we could pay off some debt, and then, then we'd be free of, 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 uh, uh, of this burden that's weighing on us, and then we could really be free to reach out with the gospel. And God says, um, no, I'd like you to be faithful with what you have. God, you know, if, if I could go to school, pass all the tests to become a doctor, man, I could really do some really good things if I were a doctor. And I promise, I would do everything to your honor and glory. And maybe God says, I've got a different area for you to go. My point is, is, is are you listening? Are you willing to be used because God uses people He picks, not based on what their degree already is or their willingness to work or any of those things. God says, you're my chosen one, I'm going to use you. Here's Moses, born into a nation where babies are being slaughtered each and every day because the nation of Egypt doesn't want any more Israelites around. He is miraculously protected. He is floated down the river where Pharaoh's daughter picks him out, raises him up, gives him the best education in the world, where he learns to speak well. He is intelligent, and yet 40 years later, he murders an, uh, an Egyptian. Israelites see him. He runs, flees, because he knows what he did was wrong. Another 40 years goes by, so now he's 80. See, we get, we get <laughs> flustered. When we go, I am 25 years old, what is God doing? I, why do I not know exactly how God is going to use me in His kingdom yet? I haven't found anyone to marry. Everyone else is having babies already. And, whoa, life is just it's over at 25. Moses was 80. And then he spends 40 more years wandering in the desert. My question, are you willing to be used by God in the manner, the means, and the direction that God chooses for you? Because if you're not, it is no wonder 
that you struggle with sin. I'm not saying those that follow God don't struggle with sin at all. What I'm saying is, it is no wonder, because as Stephen says, those that choose to go their own path, worship their own gods, do life their own way, they do it because they have a stiff neck. They have ears that are not circumcised, hearts that are not open to God. And quite possibly the reason you are struggling with the will and purpose of God in your life is because you have a stiff neck, a hard heart, and ears that are closed. You say, I I don't worship any other gods. Really? We're just going to check that this morning. You know... The I'm having a midlife crisis purchase that you park at the end of the parking lot so no one else can be near it. The jewelry that gets polished and put on its pedestal, we don't wear it, we just look at it. Time for any personal hobby, but rarely time for church or, or God's Word. Really? That, that's not a God? food. Gossip. Pride. I know how to run my marriage. Nobody needs to tell me how to do this. We all have gods. We all put things in front of the creator of the universe. And we all justify it. The problem is is that God says, that's proof of a stiff neck. And a heart that's not circumcised. A stiff neck means pride. It means you're set, you're resolute. Boy, I'm going to look forward. This is the direction I'm going. And you don't look to the left or the right. And that's why you don't see the poor and the downtrodden. You don't see people that are in need of God's grace. Because I've got a, I'm, I'm headed down this path. I've picked this path. You can't see anyone else around you. You have a hard heart because of so many times you've been hurt. And you've closed off that heart, and you've protected that heart. No one else is going to damage that heart like mom did, or like dad did, or like the ex-wife did. And we get so hard that we don't allow anyone to love us, let alone us to love anybody else. and ears that are stopped up. We don't listen to God's Word, because what if I do? The Holy Spirit, I know how this gig works. You read God's Word, you get convicted of sin, you confess, God forgives you, and then He expects you to change. And if that's not good enough, He even gives you the power to do it. And it's actually a pretty easy... But I don't want to do that! Because I'm resolute. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to do. So Stephen says, you stiff-necked people. With uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just 
like your father. Oh, there's the phrase. You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. My son is just like his father. And his son will be like him. And that's not always a good thing. I'm the first to admit, I know why my son flies off the handle. I fly off the handle. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist. You understand that the work of the Holy Spirit, He, he gives us power to, to be transformed. He allows us to live differently. He actually gives us that little bit of conscience that goes, mm, I probably shouldn't say that word. Ah, who cares? And we go ahead and do it. See, the Holy Spirit was talking the whole time. Don't do that. Don't say that. You're fighting with your spouse, right? One of the phrases I teach in new marriage, uh, in my pre-marriage classes, you don't use this, okay? You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. Those are not helpful phrases. Why? Because they're true. That's why they're not helpful. You're just stating the obvious. And it doesn't move you down the road anywhere. I was born from parents that sin. My children were born from parents that sin. My children are sinners because I'm a sinner. And the thwarting of the Holy Spirit has to stop with me. I mean, this morning, Mark, it says, bow your heads. Let's confess our sins. Let's go before a God who knows everything that's going on. Be free of that, right? Confess your sins. Lay it out so that God can forgive. And we stood in front of a cross and bowed our heads, and we said, God, forgive. Except for these little couple ones over here. I'm just going to keep these. That's thwarting the Holy Spirit. Because God wants it all laid out in front of Him. He knows it. You're not hiding it from anyone. The reason He wants to forgive is because in forgiveness, you're set free. And in that freedom, now you can live. And now, when people say, well, I'm following the path of God, and they go, well, you know exactly what He wants you to do? And you go, hmm, not really, but I know He has plans for me, a hope and a future. He's going to prosper me somehow, some way. I don't know if it's through... Blessed health or challenges beyond my wildest imagination. But He's promised to be with me. He's never going to leave me. This, this He says, confess those sins. Why? So that you don't have that hard heart. And those have is so that you no longer have closed off ears. And so that your neck is no longer stiff, but rather pliable. And God can actually move you into the lives of people around you. 
You want somebody to focus? That's right. You know, you put a blinders on horses, and then, okay, put the head down, we pull the plow, we'll stay going on it. Tell you what, kids, all I got to do, turn off the TV, and man, I get focused attention. And when we do, when we hear the prodding of the Holy Spirit who says, quit thwarting me, then what happens is we are used the way God wants to use us. In His time and in His way. As I mentioned before, here's Stephen, a follower of Jesus Christ, no doubt, fully aware, hey, I'm following Jesus, I'll do whatever. The disciples get together and go, Stephen, we want to set you apart. We need you to help take care of the ladies that need food and food distribution. And he says, fine, great. But part of that process is his proclamation of the word. And it hacks people off. And a couple of days later, he's dead. Sign me up! Stephen was ready. Whatever the Lord would do with you. Wherever the Lord would take you. Stop thwarting the Holy Spirit. And I'll guarantee you that what you will be able to do is speak in all words of truth and love the gospel that has been so freely given to you and then share it with the other people around you. Even to the point where he is being stoned to death, he says, Father, receive my spirit and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is what having the Holy Spirit and not thwarting Him will do. You'll be able to forgive people that have angered you your entire life. You'll be able to forgive the sins of those that don't even have a clue about God. Because having a heart that is softened by the gospel allows you to forgive as much as you've been forgiven. And having ears that are open and attuned to God's Word means that you are ready and willing to accept God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. And having a, a neck that is no longer stiff means you are willing to be maneuvered, to be moved over here if God says here, and to be over here if God says, no, I need you here in this person's life. And you say, yes, God, wherever you would send me, I'll go. And I'll do it so that everybody else around me knows you're my God. I'm not my own God. I'll follow your will. Lord, your will be done. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship with the Spirit, and the love of God the Father, be with you all. Amen.